Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Welcome to Graceland Church. We're so honored that you're worshiping with us today. Quick reminder to our youth and our parents of youth, no youth tonight because of fall break. We'll resume next Sunday, October 15th, 5 p.m. Also, I want to put on your calendar, youth convention. Where are my youth at and parents of youth? Come on, youth convention is awesome. We're going to go to the Opryland Hotel. We meet with a couple thousand other youth from the Tennessee District of the Assemblies of God, and it's November 21 and 22. That's a Tuesday and a Wednesday. It's the two days before Thanksgiving. So if you're a youth or parent of youth, mark those dates on your calendar. A bunch of our leaders are going to go. We're going to caravan. We'll bring you some details in the next couple weeks of how to get registered. Cannot wait for it. As you likely know, there have been brutal attacks in Israel yesterday and continuing today. And the Lord has called us to be a people of prayer. When war breaks out in our world like this, we cry out to God as the church. And then specifically with Israel, look what scripture says, Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I mean, it's just right there. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. So I'd like to call us to prayer together. Uh, We're going to pray right now, but also pray on your own. We join with the global church in prayer um, when there's this level of, of disruption in our world. So if you could bow your hearts with me and let's pray. Lord, we, we do exactly what your word says, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and Israel today in Jesus' name. We pray for an end to the terror and the war currently happening. We pray for a divine intervention, Lord, We pray for protection and peace. We pray for wisdom, for leadership. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, in Jerusalem as it is in heaven, in Israel as it is in heaven, around our whole world as it is in heaven, Lord. And and we call on your name. We humble ourselves. We turn from our wicked ways. We call on your name. Would you heal our land? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we're continuing our series, Navigating relationships. Life is all about relationships. And when you accept Jesus, when you begin to follow him, you enter three brand new relationships, a new relationship with God, a new relationship with yourself, and a new relationship with others. Last Sunday, I shared a message called People of Vision, and we talked about how following Jesus changes your relationship with your future. You can check that out if you'd like. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at how you have a new relationship with yourself. That'll be next Sunday, your past and your present. And in the following weeks, we'll talk about a new relationship with your family, with your friends, with your spouse, if you're married, with your money, and even with your enemies. And today, we're going to talk about the most foundational of all the new relationships, the one from which all of life flows, and that is your relationship with God. And it's titled, A Beautiful Relationship with God. And I want to start by reminding you of this, and it's number one in your notes. You were created for a beautiful relationship with God. We forget this sometimes. You were God's idea, not your parents' idea. God envisioned you and then decided to create you just as you are. You are meant to be with him. That's part of our creation theology that we have from scripture. In evangelicalism in America, oftentimes we focus almost exclusively on fall and redemption. And if you talk about the, 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 four grand, the four chapters of this grand story, fall and redemption are two of them, but they're the two middle ones. It starts with creation, 
and it ends with renewal. So it's actually these four chapters, creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. And because we've talked about fall and redemption so much, which we should do and will continue to do, we've kind of almost lost a, a healthy theology of creation, meaning who we are and, and the fact that God made us and why he did. Look at Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And I want you to notice that when God created you and me, man and woman, he blessed them. And it says later that he says they were very good. He says, you as a creation are very good. And because we talk about the fall so much, and sin is reality in our lives. We're going to talk about that in this message. There's a scripture that says, you know, our righteousness is like filthy rags. Like our best efforts are like filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. And that's true. But sometimes we misinterpret that to think that we're junk. We forget that God made you incredibly good and blessed you. We have to have a creation theology. And this these verses right here also answer these core questions. Where did we come from? The scripture says, from God. We're made in his image. I said this last week, but every person being made in the image of God means that every interaction we have with a human is a holy moment. It is part of heaven coming to earth. This verse answers the question, who we are. It says we are his, from his very image, and we are blessed. It also answers why we are here. It says it's to be fruitful and to steward what has been given to us, even to enjoy it. We are here for the Lord. And then we see this affirmed in the New Testament, Colossians 1, 15 through 16. The son, talking about Jesus there, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, and say it with me, for him. You have been created for the Lord. That is your purpose, relationship with God. We're gonna talk about how significant that is in this message. We may have forgotten, or we may have never really even had a glimpse of how significant that is. But before we get to that, number two, we have to talk about that that second chapter in this grand story, sin causes separation from God. So what we're created for is nearness with God, relationship with God, sin, pride, thinking that we don't need him, deception. We get seduced into all kinds of ways of thinking. We get filled in our hearts with empty promises that do not deliver. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It's the temptation to have more, the temptation to feel more, the temptation to be more and say we don't need God. That separates us from God. And Ephesians 4.18 says very clearly, look at the results. Darkened in their understanding because of sin and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And let's be really clear. This is why God hates sin, because he loves you. It's not about a punitive God who's just angry because of your disobedience, because he's, he doesn't have like a fleshly anger like we do. He has a righteous anger that is out of love for you, that hates separation from you, therefore he hates sin. 
So it's not the punitive God who has it out for you. It's the loving father who wants you to be with him, wants you to flourish in every way. Therefore, he calls you out of sin. And by the way, makes provision for your forgiveness. This started in the garden. The first temptation was to get Adam and Eve to question the voice of God. And I heard someone say recently, that first temptation got Adam and Eve to focus on lack instead of abundance. And I don't say that from like a prosperity preacher context, but if you look at the text, that is really what happened. Adam and Eve were created in the garden full of abundance. They were given the world. They lived together without shame, naked, enjoying, kids, forgive me, life, each other's bodies, naming all the plants, all the animals, had a purpose, walked with God. Could it get better? Yet the enemy gets them to focus on one thing that they think they lack. One thing in the midst of all the abundance. And by the way, they don't even lack it. It's a deception. It's just remarkable. And it rings so true with how the enemy tempts us today and how we get so deceived in our minds. You can be walking in absolute abundance from God. I prayed it earlier. We have food, we have shelter, we have people that love us, we have relationships, you have work, you have life. I bet you you can count on both, you know, more than both hands, people that love you in your life. Probably, not everyone, but, but we walk in abundance. We have multiple outfits of clothes in our closets. So the average person, I don't know, has seven or eight pairs of shoes around us. Some of us have like 1,800 shoes, you know what I mean? It's like we are living in intense abundance. We're walking in the provision of God for salvation, yet the enemy gets us to focus on something that we feel like we lack, and that destroys us. Isn't that amazing? The enemy does that, and how our flesh does that to us. We're going to talk about that more next week with how we relate to ourselves and our thoughts, but this sin, when we act on it, it separates us from God. The scripture said it, and I'm going to ask this rhetorically, but how many of you have ever felt separated from the life of God? And, and, and we, we run and we hide because we feel shame. In fact, hell is just complete separation from God. That's all it is. And, and none of us have even tasted actual separation from God, like total separation. We're still living in God's mercy and his, his provision around us. I can't imagine full and total separation from God. I don't think anyone will be in hell that doesn't choose to be there. Because the heart of the Father says, come home. But if you ultimately choose it, God allows us to make choice. You can and will be completely separated. But here's the really good news. There's this invitation all throughout Scripture to return to the relationship. And number three, your relationship with God is fully restored through Jesus. God did it through Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the fullness of God in us. It doesn't make sense it doesn't seem fair because it's not fair. It doesn't seem possible, but it's true. It's articulated in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. That's Jesus. He died for all, and therefore all died. That means that when we put our faith in Jesus, we go down into our death with Jesus. That's what baptism symbolizes. Down into our death and then raised into new life with him. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us, restored relationship to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry 
of reconciliation. So not only are we restored to relationship, but now our highest purpose, other than knowing him, is to invite others into that relationship. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Who can say, praise the Lord? I mean, that's the gospel. And then we see the invitation in Revelation 3.20, and we're gonna spend a little time on this. Jesus says this, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, the context here is messages going out to seven churches, and it's coming through the book of Revelation. It's John, the author of the book we just studied. He's an elderly man on the Isle of Patmos receiving this revelation from the Lord. And, and this specific invitation was in the context of the message to one of the churches. And we know from the context that this particular church was, was stuck in lukewarmness. It says, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. I, I might spit you out of my mouth. They're stuck in deception and pride because of their wealth. It specifically says that. Right, yet right there in the midst of all their mess, and it's to the church, by the way, comes the invitation, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And what that also reminds us of is that this invitation is for those of us who already know the Lord too. You have to keep saying yes to the invitation. You can get stuck like the church in Laodicea here. I think that was the church that we're talking about. You can get, thank you. You can get stuck in it because of your own pride and, and the deception of of. Of wealth, And like we talked about, wealth in and of itself is not bad, but when it becomes your God and you think it makes you great and haughty, it's very bad, right? It's good when it's used as a tool and it, and it blesses you and, it, and it's for the kingdom of God, but they got stuck in this, so, so God's there knocking. And I love this principle, number four, God is always ready to be in relationship with you. Man, if we could just get that into our hearts and minds, if we really believed that, it could change anything. What that means is at any point of any day of your life, I don't even have to know what's going on. I know this is true of God. He's ready to be in relationship with you. Doesn't matter how many times you have not answered the door, he's still ready to be in relationship with you. It doesn't matter how much you are caught up in deception and making mistakes, he's ready to be in relationship with you. I don't care what is even happening in your life. He's ready to be in relationship with you. That's amazing. We forget it just like Adam and Eve did. After they sinned, they hid from God. They felt shame, they felt condemnation, but God invited them out of hiding. He was still pursuing. First John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. We're his children. And that's when we become parents, you know, oftentimes we learn another level of the depth of God's love for us because of what we feel for our own kids. Scripture teaches us that he is our perfect Father, he rejoices over you like a perfect father. He runs to you, he pursues you. If you're running and hiding in shame and in condemnation, he's looking for you. He wants you with him. He goes to such great lengths to win you back. He delights over you, scripture says. I have four incredible kids and I could say this about all of them, but I'm gonna highlight one of them today because of this picture that I have from my daughter, Nessa. She's now eight, but when she was very little, she drew one of her first pieces of artwork. And you parents will know what I'm talking about. You know, it's not necessarily a Rembrandt, um, but we took this piece of artwork uh, that Nessa did and we framed this bad boy and it is still hanging in our house. Now, here's the thing. 
I don't delight in Nessa's artwork because it's the best artwork around. I delight in it because she made it and she is my delight. It's such a difference. And this is a reflection of how our heavenly father looks at you and your life. You might feel like you're about as good at life as Nessa was at drawing that picture. You know what I mean? You might feel like you're that much of a beginner. You might feel like you're that much scribbling around, making mistakes, and it's, it's not anything beautiful for anyone to behold. But let me, just, let me just declare this to you. God doesn't delight in your life because it's the best life around. He delights in your life because you're the one living it, and you are his delight, period. I've worked with a lot of artists and people trying to start companies and because of Los Angeles and Nashville, I love pastoring people that are chasing some kind of dream. And oftentimes they are, it's like a noble effort, but it's also like looking for significance. It's looking for security. It's looking for meaning and purpose. And so, and I'm just the same. So we walk through that. And how do we find that in the Lord? One of the things though I repeatedly hear from people like that is a lot of times when they have children, if, and when they have children, it, 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 it reminds them, or it doesn't remind them, it, it introduces them to a new level of delight that overshadows all the other pursuits. And it, it becomes a level of delight in the way that I delight with little Nessa scribbling on a piece of paper that just doesn't make sense. Why do I delight so much in this? I don't know, but she's my delight. This is the meaning of life. And I don't mean that you have to have kids to know the meaning of life. I'm talking about love, Right? It doesn't have to be like actual blood, but, but, but you start to learn this is the purpose. And, and when you start to think about this perspective from God, that we are his delight and what we are doing is his delight because we are his delight. It, it, and I wanna be careful in how I say this, but, but we bring meaning to the life of God. I don't fully understand that. I'm not trying to say something weird theologically like he's incomplete without us, but he's the one who created us in his image to experience and feel these things so that we would more understand him. And I think that understanding just a little bit more of his delight in us will transform our relationship with him. Because scripture says we love him because he first loved us. And if we're just so convinced that he doesn't really love us or he doesn't really delight in us, another thing that happened with Nessa just recently is she ran track for her field day at school. Jessica got to go to it, and she ran the 50-meter dash and the 100-meter dash for her grade, or for her class, I think, against the other kids in the grade. She's very quick. She loves running. She reminds me of, um, you know, that great movie, Chariots of Fire. I sense his pleasure when I run, and I see that in her big time, and therefore, I love it, and Jessica was sending me videos of her running, and she did a great job. Whether she wins or not, it's fun. I I don't really care, but I, I texted this to my wife. I said, I love watching her run. And as I texted it, I'm also realizing it's, it's not as much that I care that that's what she likes doing. It's, I just love watching her live. I love watching her. And when I texted that to my wife, I guess it was for this message, I felt as I texted it that the Lord was speaking to me, I love watching you run. That's what I felt, just overwhelmingly from the Lord. And I, don't get me wrong, I'm not like out running track and field. I think the Lord says to me and you, I love watching you run. I love watching you live. I love watching you try to figure things out and sometimes make a mess of it. I love watching you learn about kindness and forgiveness. I love it. It's so far from the other thing that we sometimes feel from God thinking we just have to hide in shame and condemnation. He says, no, 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 no. come into the light. I love you. I've been watching the whole time. I love you. 
and he, he will deal with the sin in your life because he doesn't want you to be separated, right? But he loves you. He loves watching you. The, the scripture says he rejoices over you with singing. He loves you. Number five, God's greatest delight is relationship with you. Why do you think he would go to such great lengths for you? You're his delight. And it's not just you. It's every person he created. And it leads again to the invitation. Look at it. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And this is ultimately what parents have to do when they have kids that go like haywire on them. You do everything you can. I've, I've walked with parents that have gone through the hardest stuff with their kids, unimaginable things. It happens. And they still desperately love those kids. And they ultimately end up in this same posture that we see from the Lord. It's like, I'm always gonna be here. I stand at the door and knock. If you ever want to open the door, I'm gonna come in and eat with you. Please open the door. I'm gonna knock forever. I mean, that's the heart of God. But at least to this sixth principle, God is knocking, but you have to open the door and welcome him into your life. And I just wanna ask you, is your door open to him? Are you walking in this beautiful relationship that you were created for? Our role is to say yes. And one last story from scripture to share this last point, and then we're gonna share communion and close. You may not know this about me, but I had a career as a child actor. Did anybody know that? Not really. But I grew up in church, and I was, was a pastor's kid, oldest in my family. Therefore, sometimes I had to play the lead in church plays. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That career ended at about 11 or 12 years old. I'm glad there's no footage. Um, if it was today's day and age, there would be 10,000 videos of all those plays. I don't think there's one. There's probably out there somewhere. But I, I had the lead role one year in a play called No Fibbin Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is a real character in scripture. He's a real person. Mephibosheth, um, it's recorded in 2 Samuel 9, verse 3. And, and what happened to Mephibosheth is going to give us this incredibly powerful truth to close out this message. But let me just give you a little context. Um, I'm just going to call him Bo so I don't have to keep saying Mephibosheth. Is that okay? I tried in first service to say Mephibosheth like 18 times in a row, and by the end of it, I was, I was like drooling, basically. So I'm just going to call him Bo for a second. So when I say Bo, I'm talking about Mephibosheth. So when we meet Bo, uh, things are not going well for this young man. He's a fugitive from the king. The king is David. David's the king of Israel. And the reason he's a fugitive is because Bo is Saul's, the former king, only surviving grandson. So Bo's dad is Jonathan, the son of Saul. Therefore, he's a threat to the throne, potentially, in David's eyes. So he's been living under that threat since he was five years old. He also, from a young age, was crippled when his nanny fell on him. True story. This is in the Bible. The Bible is very exciting and has a lot of plot twists. His nanny fell on him, trying to escape after his father and grandfather were killed, and Bo has never been able to walk since then. And so Bo now gets an invitation from the king, King David, to come to his palace. Bo, understandably, could have just ran, but he says yes to the invitation. And we're gonna read about what happened in 2 Samuel to close this message, starting in verse three. The king asked, that's David, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. 
Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, Bo, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. David, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Let me remind you, table in scripture is always representative of relationship. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. So he's been invited into relationship. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. So there's an incredible picture here of us being broken and lame. And we might be able to physically walk, but we, we are broken in sin, unable to help ourselves, unable to even get ourselves to the table of the Lord, much less have an invitation. And we get invited to the table of the king, not David, but the king of kings. We get invited to dine with him, invited into relationship. We think we should run and hide from the king because we've done so many things wrong. The gospel says, no, 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 I actually am going to repay everything to you that the enemy has tried to steal. I'm actually going to bless you. I'm actually going to restore you into this full relationship. And here's the principle that's so powerful. Not only will the Lord dine at your table, but he invites you to dine at his table. It's both. So yes, open up the door and say, come in and dine with me, Lord. But also he says, hey, come into my house. I've got a seat with your name on it. And how long do you get to dine at his table? Forever. It never goes away. This is a picture of the gospel in our lives today. So the worship team is gonna come up and I'm gonna ask and invite anyone who wants to, to participate in communion. If you didn't get a packet when you walked in and you'd like to participate and everyone is welcome, raise up your hand just for a moment and our team will bring you one. Just hold it up for two seconds. I see one up here, Debbie, and one back here on this side. Just hold your hand up for one second. They'll bring it to you. Communion is the remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. The juice represents the blood of Jesus. The cracker represents the body of Jesus, broken and shed for us so that we could step into this restored relationship. What I'm gonna invite you to do is take out the piece of bread and don't eat it yet. Just hold it in your hand. And we're gonna listen to a song. The team is not gonna play it live. I'm actually gonna play this recording from a band called Leland. And the song is called Carried to the Table. I don't know if he wrote it directly out of this story of Mephibosheth, but it definitely sounds like he did. And I want you to just turn your seat into an altar. So if you will, just close your eyes with me, church. Hold the bread, hold the juice, don't partake yet. And let's reflect on the invitation from the Lord and the great lengths he has gone to to invite us into this restored relationship. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this great salvation. Thank you for new hope, new life, God. You know, we're going to sing Run to the Father, and it says right in it, I'm done with the hiding. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend, and we run to the Father. And if you just close your eyes for one more moment before we sing this, I just felt like the Lord whispered something to me for someone here. You know, that picture that I have up on my wall, that we have up on our wall that Nessa drew, we love it. We're going to love it for the rest of our lives, and we have stuff like that with every single one of our kids. And we love to show, you know, friends and family members stuff about our kids because we're so proud of them, because we love them. And, and I just believe the Lord wants someone here to know that you might not have had that from your dad. And you might not have had that from your mom. But he wants you to know that he feels that way towards you. That he saw the things when you were a little kid. He saw the pictures. He saw the things you loved. He saw all the core memories that you have. And he's so, so proud of you and delights over you. Sings over you. Has your pictures up. Tells your story loves you so much so committed to you forever and that he wants to restore you he wants to restore what the enemy has tried to completely steal from you through what happened with your earthly family and he just says he's greater than all that he's stronger than all that he is a restoring God and he even restores the years that were lost scripture says that the enemy tries to take. So if that's you, just receive it from him. I'm going to pray this benediction over us, then we'll be dismissed. Reminder, no youth tonight. For those that have a fall break this week, we pray it's safe and blessed if you're traveling or anything like that. Next Sunday, we'll look at relationship with ourself and how God transforms that. We'll have our hymn sing at 3 o'clock. And I want to remind you of our Fall Fest, November 11th. If you haven't signed up yet, hit it in the foyer. The sign-up's right there. A bunch of people already have. All hands on deck event. And by the way, the reason we do Fall Fest, it's a bridge event to build bridges with people back into the family of God. That's the whole point. We've been reconciled to God, and we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. So it's us saying yes, and we celebrate that, and it's us welcoming anyone around us back into relationship with God. That's the point of Fall Fest. That's why we do it. It's a bridge event. So we'd love for you to help us out. Let me pray this benediction, and we'll be dismissed. May God rejoice over you with his gladness. May Christ Jesus renew you in his love. And may the Holy Spirit give you peace beyond understanding to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys very much. Say hi to someone around you. Have a great rest of your day.